At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. All right, guys, grab a seat for us. We are in week two of our new series, Divided. Very excited about this series. And you see that title above it, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World. And that's something that last week we discussed and we came to the conclusion that we live in a a fairly fractured world. Can we agree? And there are many things that are more fractured than even our gas prices. But, But I think about that and God has a very specific plan, uh, directive on how we navigate through this world that is so broken. And I think about it and the world, and we, we say these statements, these blanket statements of, of brokenness and disunity, uh, but the reality is that that does not just affect the world, that affects the church. And if we've been in church for years, many years, decades, we've probably had an experience where there was some disunity, there was some uh, a fractured nature, there was sin within the church. I can think back to my very first church. It was in middle of Illinois and New Hartford Christian Church, right? I was fresh out of Bible college and a lead pastor of this country church, 150 years old. And I remember, you know, I didn't even have hair on my face yet. And I was trying to to lead this church. And and I remember talking to the elders and saying, hey, I want to make a change. So you look at this building. It's as old as dirt, right? And, uh, and we have this beautiful facility, very aged, but beautiful. But there was one spot that I just wanted to change, and I wanted to change it now. It was the carpet on stage, okay? It's like carpet in a bathroom, right? It just doesn't work. If you have that, you know what I'm saying, okay? They had this, this blue, light blue carpet that was on their stage and then ran backstage into one of the rooms. And I said, listen, I want to change this carpet. And so we're talking, and I'm talking to some of the elders, some of the deacons. Let's make this happen. And I learned very quickly that carpet wasn't changing. (laughs) It wasn't. Because Louise, sweet Louise, she's with the Lord now, sweet Louise had decided on that carpet color, and she wasn't dead yet. (laughs) And so they said, when Luis goes to the Lord, we will change the carpet. (laughs) Not making this up. I actually hope they're watching online because uh, we have a great relationship. Luckily, it caused no division. But churches get in in, in fights and and get in uh, frictions where it's fighting over what color of white on the wall you're going to use, right? And those are realities that I would love to say the church is immune to and have have never faced. But that's just a lie. The church at times has its own struggles, has its own issues. 
And, and like I said, we've probably experienced that in some way. And that's why I'm so excited for this series because we're going to talk about uh, Corinth, the church of Corinth. We know the letters as First and Second Corinthians. And Paul, he's writing this letter to the church of Corinth. And, and they have many struggles. If you think this church has struggled, or a past church has struggled, or, or a church that you grew up has struggled, it doesn't compare to the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth should have been on Jerry Springer, okay? They had issues. And so when Paul is writing this letter to them, we have to understand the context of what is happening, not just in that church, but in that region. We had talked last week how, how Corinth, it was a bustling city. Maybe up to one-third of the city were slaves. And there was wealth. There was extreme wealth. Traders from Asia and the Middle East and Rome. And so it was just a place of great wealth, but also great poverty, great diversity. And then you take all these people together and you throw them into a church. And man, that tends to be awkward. We hear it said sometimes that the, the most divided places are Sunday morning ethnically and, and maybe we generally have this, this similar uh, range of you know socioeconomic and ethnicity. And, and I just don't want to accept that ever. And, and we see here that, that there is there's some distrust, the rich and the poor and the poor and the rich. And so Paul is speaking truth into them, into these believers. And, and we talked last week about he kind of sets the tone for the entirety of the letter. So the Apostle Paul, let's jump into it. He helps us see two specific realities that should guide believers' lives in Christ. And ones which we are rich in these things. And the first one I want to mention, we're going to put it up here on the screen, is we are rich in the right things. What we see in the first chapter is we are rich in the right things. And so it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 9, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. It says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and, and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here in this Thanksgiving portion of Paul's epistle is he often refers to a specific Christ-like characteristic of the believers in the given city and region. So if you go to uh, the book of Romans, he shares that their faith is being proclaimed in the whole world. Right? That's Romans 1 verse 8. If you go to the church of Ephesus, so Ephesians 1.15, he writes, Faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. There's just faith and there's love. You are just a very loving church. 
In 1 Thessalonians 1.3, he highlights that their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope are in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he tends to hone in on a couple characteristics of that church that, that are going fairly well. Well, in the book of Corinthians, instead of placing the, the emphasis squarely upon um, numerous things, this and that, he squares it on the amazing grace of God. And some might say it is a, a direct reflection of Paul subtly skipping over some of the things that they're struggling with. But, but I believe it's for two reasons. First, there's a foundational aspect of being united with Christ. And so he wants to focus on the grace because we know, all of us know, that there are moments, there are seasons, there are times when we struggle. Is it just me or have you guys had moments in your faith where, where you have deeply struggled? Is it just me? No? I, I've had that. Where there's been moments where there has been struggle. It doesn't mean I, I didn't believe. But, but there were times I'm like, man, times are so hard right now. Or, or maybe there was even sin or temptation. And those things don't just evaporate. There's always going to be sin. There's always going to be temptation. And, and sometimes we fall to that. And so what we see, and specifically in Corinthians, is we are all united in, in Christ, in faith, and we are free of judgment, made alive, all that. But it, it, it means that once we are aware of those struggles, we got to do everything in our power to change them. Yes, there's freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free in, and grace is sufficient. And yes, we are united with Christ, but, but Paul later on goes to speak on, hey, what are we doing to break from the world, from the things we've been entangled with? Second thing we see is those united in Christ by faith receive something else. They receive the gifts of speaking or telling the truth and, and understanding. And so we see here in the text that you'd, everyone would be enriched in all speech and in all knowledge. And so he speaks into this. And the two words here are logos and gnosis. And both are, are bundles of, of dynamite when it comes to the early church. Because we're talking about speech. We're talking about knowledge. Our, our words. What we know. And it's quite likely that Paul concentrates on speech and knowledge and, and, and focuses on these two clusters of gifts because these were gifts that the Corinthians majored in. And maybe they, they were bold and maybe they had knowledge, but they didn't have character. They didn't have integrity. And so you have to ask the question, why would he emphasize these gifts? Why would he focus on these gifts with this church that's struggling? And, and I believe that he was focusing on those gifts because he wanted to empower the Corinthians to break from sin, to break from the world, to advance the gospel message, to continue evangelizing that region, to continue having discernment and wisdom and understanding. And furthermore, the, the presence of these spiritual gifts 
they, they affirm and confirm the truth of the apostles' message that, that in this, in this culture, they desperately needed the power of the Holy Spirit and the redeeming power of Christ. Paul goes beyond these two essential gifts of grace in verse 7. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul acknowledges that the Corinthians' ultimate hope and desire was the return of Christ. That, isn't that our ultimate hope? That, that Christ will return? <laughs> Paul says something similar in Ephesians 1, verse 13 through, through 14. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You know, each year, uh, MLB, in July, they have a draft. And do we have baseball fans in this church? We have, yes, we do have some baseball fans. I know it's been a tough decade, right? It, it, it's been tough. You know, the, the Tigers uh, recently lost to Lance Cruz High School. So, um, <laughs> Uh, here's the deal. So it, it's been a tough, it's been a tough time around here. But I think Detroit is a baseball town uh, overall. And so there's a draft, right? And actually, I recently had a former uh, former student drafted by the Oakland A's, and so he's a pitcher for them, and he was a pitcher for University of Louisville and University of Indiana, and so he's he's probably going to be pretty successful. And uh, and you think about the draft and what they look for in the draft, other than people that just throw the ball 110 miles an hour, is they look for people who have right the five. Does anyone know? Five tools, right? Five tool player. So the five tool player, we could say it out. I wrote it down just in case I forget. You know, hitting, right? Power, running, fielding. What else? Did I miss one? Okay. And we have throwing. Okay. I knew I'd forget one. <laughs> That's kind of important. Right? Me throw ball. <laughs> and so you have these five tool players. And, and think about your favorite player. Most of the time, they're only good at two or three of those. Like, I love Miguel Cabrera. I went to put on my jersey the other day, and it was a lot tighter, so the buttons almost popped off. And so I took it off. I put on my Megatron jersey. It fit just right. And, um, and so I'll get down to wearing that again. Um, but you think about Miguel Cabrera, at this point in his career... He's very, very useless in certain of those areas, right? He doesn't play the field anymore. His power's gone, all that. But you look for players that possess all five, and there's a couple of them. You think about maybe a, a Mike Trout or a Mookie Betts or Ronald Acuna Jr. These are players that they're good at all five. And those are the players that get the hundreds and hundreds of million dollar contracts. And so that is something that is so important. So similar to players in the MLB, we in Christ have gifts. We have abilities. Some of us, I won't lie, we're five tool players. Like you're just that person that's good at everything. Does anyone know someone who just, they touch something and they're good at it? 
And they lift a weight and they lose like 40 pounds. You know, it's like, oh, where'd that go? You know, and you're like, seriously? You know, they're just good at anything. Anything they focus on, they're good. They're just very gifted. They'd be like a five-tool Christian, right? They got all the gifts. But, but this is something that I love talking about because somewhere along the road, we forget that God has given us a gift. Like, like you have a gift. And, and when I sit down and I talk with individuals, what I find out is most people don't or, or they struggle to believe the gifts that they've been given. And they question, you know, what, what could I offer? I mean, we see some of the band and some of the, we, we see some of that and we're like, okay, they got a gift. You know, they can play piano or drums. or We see those things, but there are so many gifts that God has given us. And so when he says in verse 7 that you're not lacking in any gift, we're not lacking in gifts. We have so many in this room that could be used for the kingdom. I love 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Bounce over to, to 1 Peter 4.10. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. You know, these gifts are not given to us so we might receive a personal glory but instead, we use these gifts we've been given to, to glorify God. All, all who are in Christ have been given a, a spiritual gift, a spiritual tool to serve our, our faith community, to serve our homes, to, to serve our, our towns, cities, villages surrounding. And, and so I want to ask a question and I want you to think about it, think hard. And I know we have people who've been here for a while, people who are just feeling out, you know, if they want to stick around, people that maybe showed up for the first time. Maybe this is geared to everyone. Maybe this is geared to those who've been here. Are you currently using your gifts to bless others? Are you currently using your gift to bless others? Are you currently using your gift to share the gospel with the, with the next generation? Are, are you currently using your gift to invest in, in your church family? One thing I like about uh, the fall that I've just realized um, here that's kind of a big deal as well is when you go into the fall it's kind of like we're launching the year right summer people are gone and and they got they're on boats and camping and sports and and whatever and, and so people generally are, are a little more flighty but in the fall we tend to hit a groove and that's the fall launch to get people in groups to get people serving to get people in classes right to get people to to place membership just go through our next steps and so I really want us to think hard 
with, with our schedules and us being here, what are we currently doing to bless others even within our church? In what way are we plugged in serving our faith community? Because that's something, it's not just a hey, maybe, it's a, this is an essential to church family, is we radically serve one another. Whether in the building or outside the building. Whether to our, our jobs, our friendships, but ultimately our faith community, man, we are, we are one and the same. And if we have something, we want to we wanna help in certain capacities. And so I want to challenge you. Are you currently using your gifts to bless others and, and to serve? You know, the Apostle Paul also helps us see a second reality that should bring us a deep peace. We talked about us being safe in the Lord, and now we have to see that we're safe in the right relationship. The spiritual gifts that Paul speaks of in, in verses 4 through 7 now provide the believers in Christ with something else. It provides us with, with safety. And that's something to be, to be extremely confident in that because we have this right relationship that it actually results in a, in a great peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that is only found through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so we see here to these Corinthian believers, not just them, to, to all of us, that our holiness you know, and, and our peace is it, not dependent on us just doing a bunch of stuff. Rather, it is a work of grace in our lives that God will complete. Because we might say, hey, if I, Winston just said, where are you serving all this? That if I do that, I'm going to find this peace. No. Peace is only found through the grace of Christ. And because of that, an overflow of that grace, we want to serve. We want to bless. We want to get our hands dirty. We want to be generous. We want to be intentional. Because of that initial point. I love how Philippians 1.6 says, uh, what it says. It says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Guys, when I think about this, and, and I know we have so many things in this room that we're carrying. Some of you how you were raised as children, the traumas you've been through, the struggles we, you've been through, the abuses, verbal, physical, you name it. You have walked through so much. And one of the beauties of the church, one of the beauties of Christ, is he uses us to serve one another, to be counselors for one another. To build up one another. To listen to one another. And so when, when Christ is working through things, sometimes it's, it's through the text message from the church member. Or the phone call. Or a specific message 
or song. And God uses these things. And like it says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus. I'm going to embarrass myself. I do that way too often. Has anyone done salsa dancing? Okay. I've actually done salsa dancing lessons. Okay. Like I got the moves. Okay. <laughs> That's it. I got the, the robots really where I land or the teacup. But here's the thing. My sister convinced me on a cruise to do salsa lessons. Okay, I played sports, so how I, I'm really rigid, you know, I'm used to like doing drills where you're focusing and, and trying to use your, your uh, footwork, um, but salsa's about eloquence, right? She's like, why are you so stiff? Like the salsa worker, like, you're no good, you know, and so, so my sister's like, come on, like, stop. I kept trying to dance like that, but I eventually learned the moves, and so when I was thinking of the sermon, <laughs> I was thinking about, no, I'm not showing no one. You don't want to be scarred, okay? Already enough trauma in the world, right? <laughs> All right, Matt, let's dance. Okay, so here's the deal. One thing I, I was thinking about is, is with us, imagine we're salsa dancing with Christ, okay? It's a stretch. You know, and, and we're with him, and, and we're, we're trying to focus step by step on his directions, Right? And sometimes we're like, oh, it's hard to forgive, and we get off track. Or, or man, that's not, that's not something that I'm used to. Or, ooh, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt having to take that road. And, and the goal is that we walk in the steps of Christ in his direction, right? And then when, when we start to grow and be complete in him, it becomes something beautiful. It becomes something eloquent. And so when people see us dancing with Christ, it's no longer us, it's Christ. And when I think about these disciples and, and what they're struggling with, really it comes down to this big idea that God has given us everything we need in Him. We just got to stay on step. Stay committed to his word. Stay committed to his church family. Stay committed to talking with him. I was reading a statistic recently that said uh, with, with finding a job, it is true that relationship is better than any gift you have. That actually they did a study in 2016. It said that over 70% of people hired at their current job were hired because of a prior relationship. So whether through connections with uh, peers, bosses, family, you name it, that uh, that's how you find a position. Actually, it's same with me. You know, I'm here because of one of my uh, former mentors, you know, Andy Belegian. He was telling me, Hey, Woodside's available or open. And I was like, I'm going south. It's too cold up there, right? And, um, and God started to move things and soften my heart. And so this is something that even then I can relate to. But when we, when we understand that relationships, everything. Relationship 
is all that Jesus wants. You know, we know him because we talk to him and we, we engage with him. We spend time with one another. And when that happens, there's a richness and there's a transformation that happens. And so it's less about I got to do A plus B and then I got to do this and then I'll, then I'll be a perfect Christian. No, it's when, when you continue to stay close to Jesus, he starts to change us. It becomes less of our rigid, systemic working of what it means to, to be honored and, and good and a faithful Christian. No, let him transform us. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing that, that comes from him. And, and I want to prove it over and over that that union with Christ, how important it is. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love how author John Piper sums it up about the union and relationship with Christ. No saving good, no eternal good, no God-exalting good, no, no soul-satisfying good comes to us except as we are connected to Christ. It's all about that union. It's all about that connection. And so I want to ask a couple questions as we close up. Because I know there's someone in this room that, that doesn't know the Father. That hasn't put their trust in Jesus. And there's even some of us that are maybe just, we've been in a weird season. I want to ask the first question. Do you have a relationship with God faith in his son do you know the love of God expressed in the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross do you know Jesus through his life, death and resurrection you know if you are in Christ you have the riches and safety that flow from that inexhaustible grace. It's inexhaustible. No strings attached. And maybe one person in this room, we, we need that because we feel like it has been exhausted. Well, it ain't. It hasn't. And it never will. And so I want to challenge and, and speak in truth that if that is you, do not wait. As I say often, don't wait till tomorrow with what needs to happen right now. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.